Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Find your seats. I get to introduce our speaker today who is going to close the book of Galatians. This is our finale into the book of Galatians, which will close today. And the guy that gets to speak today is... Man, he is worth listening to. His name is Pete Sanchez, Dr. Pete Sanchez. And I'll have you uh, welcome him in just a minute. But he wrote a song that I know you know because we just sang it. So the song I Exalt Thee was written by Pete Sanchez in 1975. It is certainly like a modern day hymn. And what I mean by that is we've been singing it for a while. The church is going to be singing that particular song that was given to Pete for years and years and years from now. It's a wonderful, beautiful song. He was the vice president of Integrity Worship. You've probably heard of that uh, label because it's the label that uh, has produced New Life uh, CDs and, and, and albums and Desperation Band albums. And uh, he is here today. He's uh, usually given this nickname, the Wise Sage. And he oversees all of New Life Worship. So all the congregations, we are eight different congregations. He oversees all of the musical worship at New Life Church. And it's a really big deal for us to welcome, if you would join me, Dr. Pete Sanchez. Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Good, thanks. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, <laughs> I don't have any Halloween jokes or stories, <laughs> but it's good to be here. It's always good to be here. I love, there's, there's, a, there's an atmosphere here, Joe, that's been created by the Spirit of God that's, that's rich. It reminds me of uh, my early years in the faith, being around people that knew one another, loved one another, uh, kind of stayed with one another over an extended period of time, and, and uh, built their lives together. Uh, James, for, for me this morning, you are the perfect example of what this text is all about. Where this text takes us ends up with people like you. And so um, I appreciate so much your spirit and the heart that you... You did a good job, even with the offering stuff. You know, <laughs> the money stuff. <clears throat> if you don't mind, stand with me and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. I'm actually going to start in Galatians 5, 25 and go through 6, 1 through 5, because I think they belong together. Here's what this, the text reads, and I'm reading from the TNIV. I don't know what you have on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the screen, but let me read this for us. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he says these things. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And then he goes into our text for today. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, what a glorious 
morning already. Um, to see life change, to hear life change. Lord, not just to meet and gather, but to know that our meeting and gathering has purpose. That you are amongst us, doing what only you can do. Opening up hearts, creating opportunities for life to flow in and out of this place. Lord, thank you for Joe and Erica and their, their labor here and the fruit that we see in this place. Lord, you are a good God. You do amazing things with us. And so, Lord, this morning we ask for you uh, to help us to hear uh, what you would have, what you would say to the church today so that men and women who go out of this place recognizing that their lives are tied to a resurrecting spirit, <laughs> a king who is here and coming, and to a life that's worth living, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to do this a little bit. I love music stands to speak off of since that's kind of my world. I am, um, I am really glad to be here. I, I think J your pastor is very funny. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a sermon from last week and he was talking about, you know, the, the fruit of the spirit. And I was, I don't know, just, I, he just makes me smile. And so uh, you've got a good leader here. And Erica, thank you for leading worship. Thanks, I want to thank the team for leading the way they have. Um, it's a lot of work to do what they do. Let me just say to you that <clears throat> our text this morning from Galatians 6, and Joe did say this. He said, this is, a, this is kind of a, one of those difficult texts. Uh, it's a challenging text, and it is. And it wraps up a letter to the Galatians. Um, and you could, you could say it, uh, it, it wraps up a letter to Manitou Springs. It, it wraps up a letter to Colorado Springs. Because what God has said in this letter uh, is very current and very, very powerful, very transformational. And so it's very important for me for you to see that, that we're talking about a, a gospel with transforming power. So Paul is writing and he's, he's making a practical application of everything he has said before in Galatians 1 to 5. He's gotten to the end and now he is saying this is how we do. Now he's fought on several fronts. Um, <laughs> I think of this passage, and I'm, I think of it as a pastor because I was a senior pastor in Texas for 12 years, and I, I know what it is to care for your people. I know what it is to love your people. I know what it is to watch what I would call alien influences come into the midst of your church. I know what it is to see people fall away. I know what it is that people you care about, to see them go through tough times wanting to help them, but not always being able to, for some reason, either they don't, they don't let you know they're going through problems, or uh, it's because they're feeling too much shame to come forward. I know what it's like. So when I read Paul's letter, I can't read it um, from my doctor's degree. I have to read it from a pastoral place, that he is dealing with real people in real time, with a real history. These aren't pretend people. These aren't pretend applications he's making. This is pastoral work done in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. So when I read this, um, I want you to know that he's making practical application, but he's also calling his Galatian congregation to a certain kind of living, life in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, seeing what Joe preached about last week, this fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit of the Spirit. Another word that scholars use is 
the harvest of the Spirit. You live in the midst of a people that God is working in, and when the Spirit is working in that people, there is a certain fruit that begins to manifest itself. There is a certain harvest you begin to enjoy. And because of that fruit and because of that harvest, it will attract people that, that are running by on the avenue, that come into the building wondering what is going on. That's the work of the Spirit of God. That's the, that is the, the payback to life in the Spirit. And this is what Paul is arguing for. So my question to us this morning is to consider what kind of love cares about fallen, broken people? This is what Paul is asking. What kind of community embodies the kind of care and love both then and now? Um, and is there a marked path to, to being or becoming more of that kind of community? Um, full confession, I love the church. I do. I love the people of God. I was a musician who became a pastor and never had any intention of doing so. I, um, this happened because as I served in the local church, I fell in love with the people of God, and that began to just pull my heart towards caring for them and loving them and seeing that, that they would have the kind of faith that would be sustainable over a lifetime. When I read Galatians, though I'm so far removed from the first century, I feel his concern because I've lived in all of these places as a pastor, as a leader. I'm, I'm old enough, you can tell from the song I exalt thee. <laughs> I'm old enough to have seen a lot and experienced a lot. I've been in a lot of places where I've wept and been angry. I, I've, I, when I read even today's news about leaders falling away or leaders abusing people or, or um, them, them falling into places we couldn't have imagined uh, earlier, I confess to a great sadness when I read about all those things. When, when I see them walking, when I see musicians and artists and pastors and people walking away from the church, deconstructing their faith is the, is the big common term these days. Um, but we've sung their songs, we've read their books, and some of us have had an, an occasion to follow their teachings and leadings. But in spite of all that, I have a hope in my heart. And I tell you what, being here with you this morning has just rekindled again that hope that I believe in, that despite all I see and all I hear, this is what I believe. You are and are becoming and what the church can be in spite of everything I hear, every negative newscast. It doesn't matter what they're, what they're saying on social media. This is what I believe you are and are becoming. And I think it's gonna be on, on the screen. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Her beauty, her beauty is indescribable. Her power is breathtaking. Her potential is unlimited. She comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. She builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. She provides resources for those in need and opens her arms to the forgotten, downtrodden, and disillusioned. She breaks chains of addiction. She frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of the world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, and I would add, and human failure, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. That's what you're part of. You're part of that reality. That's why James could stand up here and say what he said. You're part of something that's bigger than us, 
but includes us. And we're part of something that's going on even when we don't see, even when we can't hear, even when we're not as sensitive to it as we'd like to be. Our God is doing something in our midst. Don't, don't put your faith in an empty chair or a full chair. Put your faith in the one who was always among us. He is always among us, and he is building something here that's going to come to its full fruition. It's going to be a full harvest one day that you're going to see, and you're going to say, only the Lord could have done this kind of thing. Now, Paul rightly contends for some right things. He's contending for a freedom to serve one another in love. He's contending, uh, rather than yielding to appetites which misrepresent our freedom or disfigure our lives, he contends for the life that's in the Spirit, a life that's in the Spirit that's credible and gives practical witness, which is what we've seen in James here this morning. I don't know, Paul writes it this way, the only thing that really matters is faith expressing itself through love. Let's go, to, let's go to the text for just a moment, okay? Thank you. <laughs> uh, here's my first point about life together in the Spirit. Life together in the Spirit is the atmosphere. Everybody say atmosphere. atmosphere. For restoration in the church and for anyone looking for a way to health and healing. It's an attractional atmosphere, and so when Paul begins the text, he goes into this, he uses the word brothers in some of the translations, but literally it's brothers and sisters. This is family language. For all that Paul has been upset about prior in the first five chapters, he comes back and says, but we're still family. In spite of what we're facing, in spite of what's happening among us, we're going to hold on to one another. So he, he is, he is He's trying to make sure that they understand that who they have become has been because of the work of God in their midst. And that doesn't go away because of trouble. That doesn't go away because of confusion. Matter of fact, when we get in confusion, when things get difficult, we ought to be holding on more to one another. And so rather than rejecting them, like many of us maybe would have, ah, you're just messing around, you're messing around with your faith, you're not living right, Paul says, no, 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 no. We are brothers and sisters. He doesn't make them brothers and sisters. Christ makes them brothers brothers and sisters. What Christ has done has created this new reality. And all Paul is doing, because Christ has changed my life, and because I've seen the revolution in my life, and I've seen the revolution happening amongst you, I'm trying to come to you to make sure that you understand that what God has done has made us something we weren't before. We are brothers and sisters. That's a new reality. That's the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So he's fighting for them to live into who God is making them into. It's very interesting to me that as you read through this passage, he goes, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. He said, if someone is caught, he doesn't spend a lot of time telling you about the someone. He doesn't even spend a lot of time talking about the sin. He addresses those who will restore. He addresses those of us who have to bring life to this kind of situation. And it's very interesting, because I know I'm going, well, what did they do? That's what I'm thinking. Who are they? Uh, and you, you can speculate, and scholars speculate about who that might be. And I'm not gonna speculate here this morning. I'm simply gonna say to you that Paul's interest is not in defining how bad you can be. He's talking to the church and saying, this is how good you can be. This is how restorative you can be. This is how you can step up and live in this atmosphere of the fruit of the Spirit or the harvest of the Spirit. I'm convinced that apart from the Spirit of God, we really don't have much to offer people. 
unless the Spirit of God is doing something in us and making us a new community in a world that is in free fall and chaos right now, we have a chance, we have, the, we have a wonderful chance to imprint ourselves on culture by simply living into who we are, life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking in the power of the Spirit, allowing the harvest of the Spirit to raise up amongst us. I, I, I say that because I think that's the only safe place for a person to make their way back to God. We don't need more critics. We got lots of them. We don't need any more judgmental stuff, which is what Paul says all through this text. We don't need you thinking you're better than or, or even assuming that you'll never fall into the same kind of problem. The issue is, is that all of us have this brokenness about us. We all have these uh, things that we've been saved from and, and the Lord has come into our lives and day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, and I might I add Sunday gathering by Sunday gathering, all these things that the church does in order to bring you in, it's a, it's, it's a way to orchestrate and illustrate and embody a certain kind of living, a certain kind of community. This text in Galatians 6 um, has several, uh, what I would say, uh, biblical resonances. He says, brothers and sisters, and he goes, he talks about if someone caught in a sin, that word caught is the same word that's used about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And I believe that the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, I've always believed she was set up. I've always believed that. Because the text goes on to say in John that they were really after Jesus. This was a way to trap him. It wasn't about her. It was about, you know, it was, it was about getting to him. And so when, when I think about some of these things, it, 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 just, it just gets me because I, I realized that I wanted Jesus to really give her a hard time. That's my background religiously. But he doesn't. He, he doesn't even talk much about what she did. She, he didn't even give, him, give her 10 steps to staying out of adultery. He, didn't, he doesn't do any of those things. He addresses the ones who are quick to judge and not heal and not restore. He turns it on them when they want to stone her when, and they really want to stone him. And then he releases her with simple words. I don't judge you either. Go and sin no more. In my evangelical Protestant background, that doesn't feel right. But in the kingdom, there's always going to be more grace and more mercy and more restoration than there's going to be judgment. He goes on to say, brothers and sisters, you who are spiritual, those who have enjoyed the harvest of the Spirit, those who haven't forgotten where you were when Jesus found you. Uh, can I say to you that, uh, watching James this morning, I was reminded, uh, Amazing Grace, you know the song, Amazing Grace? I'm still amazed by the grace we've received. I haven't gotten over it. Um, I know people say, well, that's an old song. No, no, it's not an old song. It's a new song. And it's, it's a song that we sing when we've experienced that kind of grace. Um, and I think this is what Paul is talking about, about those who are spiritual, those of us who live in the alt, at, attitude of, of, uh, gra, of gratitude, the altitude of gratitude and worship. What we did here this morning, can I say to you that when we're in, in the presence of God and in worship, we never look any better than that. This is, this is who we are. 
This is what we do. This is what comes out of us in gratitude to the one who's extended such great mercy to us. He doesn't say you who are spiritual. He says you who are spiritual, but he doesn't say you who are quick to judge. (laughs) It doesn't say you who are critical. He says those of you who are spiritual, those who understand life in the spirit together, those those who understand what it means to walk according to the spirit. You don't want people in the restoration process who think too highly of themselves. You don't want people in the restoration process who are unwilling to involve themselves at all or by their criticism are unable to exhibit the patience, this Joe talked about this, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness that loving someone requires. You want someone who's spiritual. I didn't say religious. I said spiritual. Men and women who understand that they have received so much more that they can ever get back. Are you with me? He wants, to, he wants them, he, Paul says, I want you to restore them gently. And by gently, I think of Matthew 18 always, where Jesus says, go to them privately, have a discussion. And if they listen, you've won your brother or you've won the person you've talked to. If they don't listen, find some other brothers that can help you in that process. And if, that, and if then they still don't listen to you, then tell it to the church. Bring it to the church. But the goal in Jesus and in Paul here is to win them back, to walk them back home. Let me give you a current illustration, to leave the light on always. When my sons and daughters used to be out late at night, I used to be really concerned with them about where they were. I used to, I used to tell them all the time, it's not you I'm concerned about, it's what's out there that I'm concerned about. And, and so when, when, uh, when they began to go through their troubled years, I began to be concerned. Um, and we began to have these difficult dis, uh, discussions. But despite the difficult discussions, I always left the light on. Always. It was my way of saying, you're always welcome home. Always. The church needs to be a place where people who drive by always feel the lights on. They always sense there's a way back. And that's what Paul is saying. Restore them gently. Walk them back home. There's ways to do that that that, um, I think begins with good listening. Begins with taking the time to hear the story. To not fill the air with words, but to listen and to carry them through seasons in their life. I have had many painful seasons in my life of trying to walk people through these kinds of moments. But you do it because you love them. You, you invest the time not because you have a job to do. You do it because you love them. And I have loved people uh, to the place where sometimes they didn't make it. And I wept. I wept. And the, but, some, but a lot of times... You were able to see people sustain themselves and become restorers themselves. Get to a place where they were restoring gently. Why? Because they remembered. We're going to go to the communion table in a few minutes. It's a place to remember. It's a place to be remembered, to put back together again, to to rekindle your love for the Lord, to say, I'm back or I want to come back. It's a place to begin anew. 
He goes on in verse two and following to brothers and sisters carry each other's burdens. And this has the idea of shouldering, putting your shoulder under somebody else's burden that's too big for them to carry alone. I think Paul here is, is referencing some passages in the New Testament where it talks about Jesus shouldering the cross on our behalf. I don't think the Lord is speaking in a vacuum. I, mean, I don't think Paul's speaking in a vacuum. I think he's got the Lord in mind, in view. The same one that spoke to him on the, on the road to Damascus. The same one who, <laughs> who stopped him in his tracks and recalibrated his whole life. I think he has that all in his mind. Christ, the scripture seems to express, is our ultimate burden bearer. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, you know, Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us out of this present age. He writes about the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He writes about the Christ who redeemed us from the curse of the law, which in his mind, I'm thinking he's thinking about the Jewish scapegoat. I'm thinking he's carried something that I couldn't carry. And let me, let me just say to you, I'm here today because the church was a good burden bearer. I grew up with a single mom and eight kids. Dad divorced when I was 12. He was an alcoholic. Um, suddenly, we were all alone. No money, no job, and sometimes no place to live. There were times when my mom was running from my dad when we had to go out one or two o'clock in the morning, eight little kids, I was the oldest, and we were climbing into the windows of church basements to get away from him. I remember having no food. I remember having only two pair of pants my entire senior year in high school. But who came alongside us and bore our burden was to the local church. They came and loved us. They didn't judge us. They didn't say anything to us about what we didn't have. Uh, they didn't <laughs> criticize my mom for being single. They didn't give her a hard time that she didn't have a job. There was no rejection. There was no shaming. There was only gifts and grace and love and food and clothes that we needed at the time. I'm here today because, I, because of them. I, they taught me what they did, how they bore our burdens without criticism, how they welcomed me is why I'm here today. They bore the burden. It was too big for my mother to carry. It was too big for eight kids to carry. But they came along and put their shoulder underneath our knee. And I'm here today because of that. So I love the church. I serve the church because they came to my family in a time when we most needed them. So when he talks about burden bearing, he's talking about practical stuff. Yes, we can pray for one another. I'm all glad for that kinds of things. But prayer, we needed a little bit more than prayer at the time. We needed somebody to come alongside of us and say, we'll pray for you, but we'll also love you. And we'll love you and we'll be practical about it. We'll help you. And in that, I remember the days when the Lord began to capture my heart. My only example was the goodness and the kindness and the gracious of people like John and Carolyn Breed and Scott Hickman, Pastor Jenkins, Irma Kelly, who was the first one to put me on a piano and teach me anything about music. People who loved me, cared for me. This is the kind of burden bearing he's talking about. There are some burdens that are too large to carry that if we live in the harvest, in the fruit of the Spirit, we will respond as that kind of burden bearers. Amen? And he says, in this way, fulfill the law of love. People that live in the spirit 
live the life of the Spirit. They always love as Christ has loved. Our story is the story of one who loved and gave himself for us. The momentum of the Christ gift is a momentum of love. And that momentum is represented and continued by the Spirit of God's Son, whose prime fruit is love. In other words, to live by faith, listen carefully, is to have Christ formed in you. And that formation has a specific ethical and practical form of love. Love isn't a one-way service. It's always expressed in relationships of back and forth, reciprocating relationships and in bearing one another's burdens. Paul goes on to say, if somebody thinks he's something when he's nothing, he's deceived. Everyone should test their own actions. The remedy to self-deception is self-evaluation before God. The language of deception is questions like this. How could anybody ever do that? You ever think that? Oh, I, I've never done that, and I'll never do that. That sets you up. At least those of us who love Christ understand that we have been saved from ourselves, saved from our own, um, uh, the scripture calls it fallenness, brokenness. We tend to love the wrong things. But the Lord himself has given us another remedy for this kind of deception or self-deception or a wrong response to people that need help. And that's self-evaluation and community. One of the things that has sustained me all of these years is that I've always asked my mentors and leaders, the ones that I've really loved, the ones who've really loved me, I have taken the initiative to go to them and say these, these very words, please do not let me go my own way. Love me enough to intervene. I give you permission to speak into my life. I give you permission to correct me. Just don't let me go my own way. I've known that, and I've been saved from that. I don't want that. I want to live in a way that's honorable to the Spirit. Then the Scripture goes on and talk about carrying your own load, and there's lots we could say there, but I, I want to kind of begin to try to wrap what I've said to you today. Point, there's another point that I want to make, that life that welcomes the Spirit finally anchors and provides an enduring hope that despite the weariness that often accompanies good, doing good in a world in free fall, that all will be well. Don't listen to what you hear all the time. Don't, don't be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Uh, throw yourself, immerse yourself in what the scripture has to say and what the gospel promises. There is a beauty to this revolutionary gospel that we've embraced and that we've talked about. We've called this Galatian series revolutionary. But here's a beauty in the gospel. Luther once wrote that sinners are attractive to God because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. This is the love of the cross, born of the cross, which turns in the direction where, where it does not find good, but, where, but it turns to where it may confer good on the bad and needy person. What that tells us is that grace is unconditioned. It does not depend on any accounts of our worth. And Paul lived in a day when it was all about honor and esteem and about what you could achieve. And honor came because you were something or you lived in a certain status or you were in a certain place in, in, in society. But all that gets broken down in the gospel. All that gets broken down 
in Paul's gospel. And, he, and, he's the, the, and it, the only thing that really matters, he says, the only worth that counts is the worth of being loved by God. We are loved by God. You are loved by God. Say it to yourself, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. We are, we are. That's what gives us worth. It's not what we achieve. It's not what we own. It's not what people say. It's not any of those things. It's not how much money we have or don't have. It's not our status and culture. It's, it's not being of one particular gender. All that's gone away. God has shut down all of those kinds of distinctions and he has made us to be one people in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus restored himself. He, when Paul was persecuting the church, the resurrected Jesus came to him and spoke gently to him. And his encounter with Jesus revolutionized everything. When Peter denied the Lord, the resurrected Jesus came to him, spoke gently to him. And his encounter with Jesus revolutionized Peter's understanding of love, grace, and even failure. When Thomas refused to believe that Jesus was physically alive, Jesus comes to him, speaks to him, speaks gently to him, doesn't criticize him. When the women went to the tomb, he speaks gently to Mary. He comes to Mary. When I was running away in college and disgusted with the former church I was at, the resurrected Jesus found me in a college classroom. He spoke gently to me, but piercingly to me. It changed my life. When my wife was 17, the resurrected Jesus came to her. She listened to a song. You probably know. He touched me. And in that moment, he sang gently over her and into her. Her encounter with Jesus revolutionized her life. When there was no New Life Church in Manitou Springs, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus spoke gently to Pastor Brady and our leaders and Pastors Joe and Erica And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gathered you to this city to preach, sing, celebrate, and embody a people who would welcome, walk alongside, and restore the fallen and accompany them back onto the path to human flourishing. Manitou Springs, you're called and you've been put here to be a revolutionary uh, church with a revolutionary gospel that actually really does change lives. You're here. I mean, it's important that you understand what your call is. It's important that I understand. When Paul in Galatians 6 says all of these things, he's aiming towards one thing. You can be this kind of people. Jesus was this way for you. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus was this way for you. Jesus is enough. If you love him and nothing else, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Let me finish with this. Here's my confession about us as the church. In a world of free fall, we are the church he promised to build. Men and women gather around one confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. We are the gathering of the redeemed, captured by an undeserved grace and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We are the oasis that connects broken people with the healer. Amen? We are the gathering, the army that pulls down every stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of our God. We are the gathering of the ever-present and powerful spirit, expecting his presence when we assemble. Isn't that right? And willing, empowered to obey his voice when he speaks. We are the gathering that confronts and works to end injustice in the world. We are the gathering that embodies healthy families and marital faithfulness. 
We are the gathering that embodies reconciliation and always extends forgiveness. We are the gathering of covenant keepers in a world of covenant breakers. We are the gathering of salt and light or loyalty and truth that, we, that creates a thirst for God's gracious reign and offers a way home to the prodigal. We are a gathering of worshipers who celebrate the power of a resurrected life this side of heaven. And by the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, we breathe the air and carry the scent of the future. We are the gathering. We are the gathering who loves God in front of people and loves people in front of God without reservation, without fear, and without apology. We are the people of the future, looking forward to the day when we shall gather with all the saints who have preceded us, and I believe who cheer us on even this morning, from every nation, every tribe, and every language. Together, Manitou Springs, we are the hope of the world. The table of the Lord is a place to remember the grace gift of Christ, but it's also a place to be remembered. That is to begin again, to begin, re- to, to begin anew and to reconnect or to come back home. It's a place for us to, rec- to uh, recommit to the revolutionary text, truths that are in this text. It's in communion that we are most truly ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we... We submit ourselves to your word. We gather ourselves around your word. Your word has changed us. Your word has found us. Your word has placed us here in this place at this time. You are a good God. So we ask you now as we go to the table that you will help us, those of us who have places in our lives that are broken or who know people whose lives are broken. Lord, for those who need to find a place to start again, Lord, let them start here. Let the table be a converting table. Let the table be a renewing table for them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.